0: i'm samuel broden a kindergarten teacher with a lot to say and this is embracing childhood where we have candid casual conversations on childhood i'm ready to talk are you hello 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 everyone Welcome to another episode of Embracing Childhood, the podcast where we have candid and casual conversations on childhood. Very exciting episode today. If you listen to the very first part of this episode over on my guest podcast, you'll be even more excited. So today we're talking with Kristen Peterson. Hello. That's the Oprah voice for you. <laughs> Super, super exciting to talk with her, so why don't you tell us just a really little bit about yourself and where they can find you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm Kristen Peterson, and my platform is called Learning Wild. Well, my website's Learning Wild, -wild learning-wild.com, but I just recently (laughs) changed my Instagram name to my real name, which is Kristen.RB.Peterson, and that's on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. Yeah, I'm founder of a nature and play-based preschool. And now I'm venturing into the adult education world of early childhood education and starting to pick up some gigs all around the United States, which has been super fun. And yeah, I'm an advocate for play in early childhood. So that is me in a nutshell.
0: Yes, and we love all of that. So super, super excited. Now, if you guys listen to the first half of this over on And look, you didn't say your podcast name either this time, just like I did it on yours.
1: So uh, this is the second part of a two-part podcast, but the first part of the podcast is over on my podcast called the Play-Based Learning Podcast. You can put that into like wherever you're listening right now, and you can find Mm -hmm. the Play-Based Learning Podcast and part one of this two-part series. However, well, we shouldn't tell them that they aren't really connected at all but they're different yeah. topics, but I just did, but go listen anyway. <laughs> yes.
0: Listen, listen to them both. It does it, just do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what we are doing on both of these parts is we're doing a little word association, which is super fun. And so over on Kristen's podcast, she gave me a few words and we chatted about it. And now I'm going to give her a few words. Now I'm going to warn you, her words were really, really good.
1: Oh, I'm so nervous.
0: They really had, like, really good conversation around them. My words, I believe, are good. I chose them specifically because I knew I was going to be telling them to her, and I was really interested to hear her thoughts on all these things. So,
1: okay. I'm nervous.
0: We have three words, and if you're ready, we'll go with the first one.
1: Hot seat. Here we go.
0: Okay. Yes. All these words are ECE-related, by the way, in case you weren't listening okay. to the other podcasts. And we're gonna keep telling you that until you guys listen to it. Mm-hmm. so the first word is discipline <laughs> <laughs> the first one
1: that popped into my mouth was well, vomit a <laughs> 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 but
0: yes I yes.
1: discipline, oh my yes. gosh, okay, so I have a story. ooh, if you listen to the other podcast. you know that. My son, who's seven, just started traditional school this year and is having a difficult time. And we were on our way home the other day. And he goes, Mom, I got my initials on the board. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. But he was explaining it to me like it was a good thing. So I was thinking, oh, this is okay. And he's and I goes, yeah. why'd you get your initials on the board? How'd you do that? And he said, well, when my ke- teacher counts down from five and she gets to zero, if you're not done talking and she says zero, you get your initials, you get to put your initials on the board. I was like, oh, really? Oh. And then what happens? <laughs> and he said, well, and then you get, you have to take, you have to sit out for five minutes during free choice time. And I was like, oh my what? What? and that's all he said about it and i was like okay i'm not going to press this any further but like my heart yeah. like Ugh. dropped i think my anxiety level went up i know my blood pressure did i mm-hmm. discipline the word discipline really makes me want to vomit i think that the word discipline it, it puts a negative spin on anything. It, it makes anything into a negative. Discipline is not a positive thing. So I am completely anti like behavior charts. We in our program, we don't do any sort of timeout. Or mm-hmm. sit and watch. Have you ever heard that term before? Like sit and like sit and, sit and watch. And watch. Yes, it's a thing that that sounds awful. Know. <laughs> it was a thing I came across in a school in Seattle. Actually, mm-hmm. I was there for some reason. I don't know, observing something, and they're third graders. And she like put them in if they weren't doing what she wanted them to be doing. She put them in sit and watch. And I was like, what's the sit and watch? Like this thing where you like sit and watch the other kids have fun or do their work. (laughs) That is horrible. Right? So I believe very heavily that the word discipline should just be erased. And we need to Mm -hmm. replace that word with social and emotional support. Because really when it comes down to it, Any action that the adult feels is not appropriate. Well, it generally is Mm -hmm. developmentally appropriate. Right. But if we're actually in the business of wanting to educate and teach and guide children, we need to make sure that we are providing that guidance and social and emotional support as well as cognitively. Mm -hmm. So I feel wipe out discipline, and provide social and emotional support. And if you can view it as that, it's just a much more gentle approach to solving problems or things you view as a problem in the classroom. Now, a lot Mm -hmm. of times our expectations or adults in the classrooms, the expectations aren't developmentally appropriate or the age of the children. So I think first, before you can offer, as you are creating your environment or creating the culture of your classroom – I think it's really important for teachers to sit back and say, what is developmentally appropriate for this age group and how can I support that? Mm-hmm. Like one thing that kids do that drives teachers nuts is like running in the classroom. And so mm-hmm. is running developmentally appropriate for a four-year-old? Absolutely. So how can we provide the space for the children to be able to run And not see it as a behavior issue, but see it as a, their body needs this issue. And how can I support them? Because when Mm -hmm. you are viewing things as like discipline and things that may you think are not okay, or that disrupt or make you uncomfortable as an adult, they're not learning. You're taking away the chance for them to learn in the way that they need to learn it's again, if you listen to the first section of this podcast, <laughs> we, you can relate this back to Samuel's riff on trust. So, we, need to tr- we have to trust so the children know what they need and, and allow them to have those experiences, and then be able to provide like positive social and emotional support when co- like true conflict really does arise.
0: Mhm, mhm-, and I think that it's interesting because I hate the word too, and so I wanted to see like oh, your yeah. view on it, but I feel like it has so much to do too with this like power trip that I feel like adults have yes. when it comes to children, you know, and there's so many times that i that I'll see teachers, and you know it's so much of like stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, whatever they're saying, right, and I would always tell them like, okay, if the child is doing something that you feel is unsafe or unkind or whatever it is, whatever the problem is that you're saying it is, nothing is getting solved by you just continually getting them in trouble because every action and everything that the children do has a reasoning behind it. And it's our job to kind of find that reasoning and help them kind of move through that. So if they are doing something that maybe is unkind to somebody else, We can help them to kind of unpack that and figure out different ways to deal with their emotions as opposed to just making them sit out or make, you know, all these, all these things that I feel like a lot of people do because it just breeds a negative view of themselves. Exactly. And you're always going to be the kid who's in trouble. And that was always a struggle for me ever since I started teaching years ago was that I would always have the children sent to me that were bad Or that were, you know, the trouble ones because I could take care of it because they just need a man so they can behave, you know? Yeah. And all of that. And it's just like you're everyone is missing the point. And I think what you said is so important about creating a culture and an environment where they're allowed to have space for the things that they need. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, these things that teachers and that we sometimes think of as inappropriate things aren't really inappropriate we just feel like they're inappropriate because they make us uncomfortable but it's not about us and I feel like that's something that we need to kind of reframe our mind and thinking of this classroom isn't mine this program isn't mine it's the children's and I'm here to kind of support that and I think if we switch that mindset and start thinking about that we'll think of this awful word a lot differently right um And even like when I see in like people's handbooks and stuff like discipline policy, I'm like, that sounds horrible. It sounds awful. And I just don't, I don't really understand because it's, it really is about giving the children a space to do the things that they need to do that are developmentally appropriate for them. And we need to give that space to them because they're going to find the space wherever they can find it because they need it.
1: exactly. But
0: it's really up to us to give it to them. So Yes. I agree with you. Discipline is a is a bad word.
1: I think part of the issue is that is how we grew up in school, was that they had complete control over us. And yep. that is why we seek that out now as adults. We want, we feel, and I don't anymore, but this is like traditional, like in a traditional mm-hmm. setting, it's the teacher what the teacher says goes like the teacher wants control over the space and maybe that's mm-hmm. because they had a lack of control there in their childhood so yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And a huge piece of the work that we do is really unpacking those feelings that we have and unpacking the childhood that we had and trying to figure out what was maybe not the best yeah, and figuring out how that affects our work with children and working to kind of shift that. And I think that's a huge piece that can be scary to do, but I think it's really imperative that we do that if we want to create this supportive environment yeah,
1: for the children. Definitely.
0: Now, I'm going to go from a word that you really, really can't stand. To a word that you just absolutely love. Okay. Play.
1: Ah, yeah. <laughs> see, I hit you. With,
0: I hit you with the one that you didn't like first, and now see, you now you got that out of the way. Oh, I
1: love it. Okay, so play. Play <laughs> is like it's the basis of life. It is so innate in mammals, in humans, and it is how everybody learns best. Mm-hmm. Play that's it. That's what it is. And I think I didn't know the definition of play when I first started out, but there's certain parameters around what what is considered play and what isn't considered play. And Peter Gray has an amazing definition for play that I and a lot of other play advocates follow and like kind of like check things off underneath it. Like, okay, is this really a play experience? So play is, am I going to be able to remember them all? I don't know. Play is (laughs) self-chosen. So it's something that you choose to do. It is done in a non-stressed state of mind. It's imaginative. Play is, that's three... Well, guess what? I don't remember the other two. I should know them by heart, right? (laughs) All we know is that in an early childhood program, when children play, we need to give them long amounts of time to play. They need to, I mean, time and support is what they need in early childhood. So, okay, I'm going to give an example to kind of show, like, As an adult, what play would be like in case you haven't felt play as an adult. I know you have felt play as an adult. But if someone were to hand me a book on accounting and say, here, I want you to read this book cover to cover and then tell me all about it after you're done reading it, I would drag my feet. I would be like, this sucks. (laughs) I do not care about accounting at all. Mm -hmm. I have zero interest in this but if somebody were to hand me a book about outer space i and say tell me everything you read in this book i would be like okay yeah. i'll read this or maybe a better example would be hey why don't you go to the library and pick out a book about something that you're mm-hmm. interested in and then mm-hmm, you tell me mm-hmm. all about it that's probably a better example so i would pick a book about outer space or i would pick about a book about Play, because learning about play is play to me, (laughs) ironically. I think that is how (laughs) it is for most play people. So when we are able to choose what we're interested in, and we find interest, and we find wonder, and we are curious about a thing... We are going to do a deep dive into it. And the things that we take away from that will be so much more valuable and so much more able to be retained in the brain than if you are just strictly memorizing something because somebody told you you had to Mm -hmm. play as an adult can be also described as flow. So if you've ever felt like you are in a flow state, like Mm. you lost track of time, you are like so absorbed in something and you just don't want to be done and all of a sudden, like the timer is buzzing on the oven for supper or like one in the morning. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to make myself go to bed. Whatever you were doing, that that's play. That flow state of mind, that is, that's play. I love that. In the book, so Stuart Brown is a play, I don't know what to call him. He has a book called Play and he studies play and he has done like research studies on play. And in his book, he talks a lot about he went back and studied play in mammals because Mm -hmm. he was so interested to find out like how that correlates to human beings and what that looked like years years and years and years and years ago. And in the book, he has these pictures and he said that he was out doing something in like somewhere really cold where there's lots of snow and there's polar bears and sled dogs. There was a sled dog team there and there was a photographer for some reason. All of a sudden this polar bear comes out of nowhere charging at these sled dogs like it's going to attack. And then all of a sudden the sled dog gets down in like a playful pose and it's like, oh, you're coming to play with me? And then the polar bear, like, stops and the polar bear gets down in, like, this play pose. <laughs> they started playing. They played for 15 minutes. So the polar bear was going to eat the sled dog. Mm-hmm. And the sled dog was like, well, I'm ready to play. I'm not ready to be your lunch. Let's play. And they did. And they have pictures, there's pictures in his book of this polar bear and this sled dog rolling around in the snow together and they would like bite each other's neck and like, just, it was play. They were, they were playing. And uh, that polar bear came back for days afterwards. And then he would play with the sled dog, the same sled dog, and then leave. (laughs) Isn't that so cool? I love that. I know. So play is how we all learn. And that is what I want people's lives to be. Like I want Mm -hmm. I would hope that for all adults. I hope that for my children that when they get to be adults and have to earn money, that they are able to like mm-hmm. figure out a way that to make a living that is play based because that's what this mm-hmm. is. I'm playing. Are you playing? Yes. Yeah.
0: And it's so interesting for me to like see different like schedules of classrooms where it's like, okay, well, we have free play from like ten to ten forty five, and then the rest of the day is like all these things, and it's just like your whole day should be them yes. playing actually. And I feel like it's really <laughs> cool to kind of bust this myth of like what play is and what it isn't, you know, cause I, a lot of times, you know, you always get that, Oh, they just play all day. So you just let them do whatever they want and they just run around and right. go crazy. And you know, all these things. And I'm like, yeah, I do let them do what they want. And sometimes they do run around and sometimes they are acting a little wild, but they're getting so much from it. Yeah. And I feel like, Shifting that definition and that idea of what it means to play and how important it is, is really important to do, but can be very difficult to do as well, especially it's difficult to really be an advocate for anything that's out of the norm. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just so important, like just let them play and you'll see like so much more learning, so much more growing, so much more connection if you were like, okay, we have free play for this amount of time, but then the rest of the day, I'm going to, you're going to sit here and we're going to do these different yeah. things and, and you're going to learn them. And it's like, no, I'm not. And honestly, it takes a lot of pressure off the teacher as well. You know, we're just allowing them the space to play, you know, we're observing and we're listening. So if I hear them say that they're talking about something they're really interested in, I'm like, Ooh, that would be cool to add to this environment that they can kind of play with. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. they were really interested in eggs and animals and stuff. So then we add that in here and they learn some more about that and they're learning through playing and learning through doing, and it's things that they want to know about and they want to learn about. And so, like you said, like it's just going to be so much more impactful to them when it's something that they've chosen. Definitely. Oh, I love that. I love that. I have one more word and it kind of goes a little bit in the same direction But this is something that I've been struggling with trying to talk with other people about, and it's themes. Whoa! (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Themes. Oh, early childhood educators love a good theme. Uh, We all have to have a theme. Wow. I remember working at a childcare center (laughs) way back when I was in college. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun because they had these giant theme boxes that you would bring down like one every two weeks. And it was like Mm -hmm. an airport theme. So it had every single airport thing you could ever want in your whole entire life in that box. (laughs) And there was a pizza theme and there was a. Get this. <laughs> we okay. did a like a jazzer size theme. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, and we would put on like videos and the kids that would is do like jazzercise and we had like leotards and leg warmers <laughs> and a farm theme, apples theme, pumpkins theme. Everything, Mm -hmm. like every theme you could ever want had its own bucket. And I thought that was like the most amazing thing in the whole entire world. So that was like my first experience with themes. And I, that was what I thought themes should be is that everything Mm -hmm. you do goes back to that theme. And then when I was teaching in a traditional preschool setting later on in my career, which was right before I started my own program, because then I like learned better. And so I'm like, I'm doing better We had, we would come up with a theme for the week and we would plan every single activity around that theme. It was so over the top. And we only had three hours with them and it was everything. It was like we had to. If you filled the sensory table and it was Apple week, you had to put red pom-poms in there with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like little trees or trays with trees taped in the bottom so that you could like use a tweezer and pull the red pom-pom out (laughs) of the sensory table and put it on the apple tree with the correct number on it because you had to link everything to something learning. You had to make it all Mm -hmm. about letters and numbers. You had to put letters and numbers on everything, even if it, I mean, everything had letters and numbers on it. Everything was made into an Apple game. I feel like now if the kids, well, A, who freaking cares about apples? Like unless you have an apple tree in your play yard outside and they're falling off the tree. Like do kids actually want to learn about apples for a week? Right. I mean – If somebody accidentally, like, you know, a few different families brought in apples for snack one day and they were all different Mm -hmm. kinds. I mean, that could be a really cool, organic, hey, we have like four different kinds of apples. Should we taste them all and see? Yes. Should we see like if there's a difference or if they taste the same or if they smell different? So I feel like themes should be organic and don't even really need to be called a theme. It's like, hey, we flipped over the kiddie pool outside today and there was 17 slugs stuck to the bottom. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're collecting slugs and wondering like why there's a hole on the side of their body. And so we're going to wonder about slugs and we're going to like inquire about slugs. And then you better believe that I'm going to go back into the classroom before we have lunch and try to find a book on slugs. So that we can like learn a little bit about them because, like, everybody raced over to learn all about these slugs. So, to me, that is the sticky learning. That's where the good stuff happens when they are able to like just play without a theme. And then you just organically come across different themes. And a theme doesn't have to be a week. Like, why do themes have to be a week? I don't know.
0: It's like really crazy because it can get to the point where, like you said, the children don't even care to learn about that. And so then why are we like forcing them to like have a two week long theme on dinosaurs if they're not really into that? Now they're just doing it because I'm telling them to, which defeats the whole purpose, you know, and everything should be organic and everything should be based on the children's interests, not what someone else is telling me they should be interested in which is super frustrating because it's like when you're in a program like that, it's like, okay, well, every year in September, we do a community theme and we learn about the community. And then next September, we're going to do the exact same thing, the exact same activities, but it's going to be a whole different group of kids. And it's just all supposed to be perfect. Like that doesn't, it doesn't compute with me, but I really like what you were saying about how it doesn't, There doesn't have to be a time frame on any – doesn't have to be called that. It's just this is what I see they're interested in, so we're going to run with this for as long as they're interested in it. When they're no longer interested in it, we're going to move on to something else. Yep. Because – just forcing children to do things that we feel like they should be doing because it's on our time frame or on our time schedule or on what it's supposed to be is super the opposite of the kind of culture that we would want to have in the program. It also like boxes you in yeah. and boxes like the children into like this idea, because if we're learning about dinosaurs for two weeks, and then they find the slugs underneath the pool, like, Oh, well, okay, that's cool. Look at them for a few minutes, but we really have to get to this yeah. other activity over here about something that doesn't really matter. And so it can be really, really frustrating, but everything should just be everything should just be organic and everything should just be based on what the children are into right now, Yeah, because that's when they're going to learn the most. Just like you said, I'm, I don't care about accounting, so I'm not going to learn about that just because you tell me to learn yes. about it. If I do, I might be able to recite two or three things from the book, but as soon as I recite them to you, I forgot about it yeah. because I don't care about it. Exactly. And it's very strange to me how adults can expect something of themselves and something different of children. Like, why would I expect children to do something that I wouldn't be okay with doing? That doesn't make sense to me.
1: Me either at all. I mean, it used to make sense to me because I used to do those things.
0: Yes, exactly. But I
1: think once you really dive into the mechanics behind the brain and how people learn... We learn best when we're curious and when we wonder about something. That's like the best type of learning. So if you can find those moments where children are curious or wondering, that's what you need to go Mm -hmm. for because that's where the gold is. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. And don't be afraid to veer off course or veer off schedule or veer off anything. Yes. Because that's like a huge pressure that I always had, like when I was first starting out in those types of programs where it was like, oh, God, it's 1025. They only have five more minutes for this art project. And then at 1030, they're supposed to be doing this. And it's like that just it's ruining everything that they're doing. And they're going to leave these preschools and these early education settings and go to like possibly to traditional education settings where that is all it's going to be yes. and it's like we need to at least be giving them this time to be free and to do what they want because they're about to go spend 15 20 years sitting and doing exactly what oh. someone is telling them to do like it's it's crazy isn't it Ugh, it's just insane to me so what did you think of your words
1: i loved my words Oh, I mean, you could tell I was excited about those words.
0: Yes. Those were great words. I know. I kind of threw you off with the first one a little bit, but we brought you it back. got it.
1: But I love to talk about that <laughs> because discipline, yeah, I, I just have icky experiences with it. Like my daughter's mm-hmm. name being on a behavior chart and then telling the teacher, okay, well, this isn't really good for kids. Well, yeah. this is one of the behavior management things my college teacher told me that I should be doing. Uh. Like, really? Would you want this in the break? And
0: like, yeah. And like, how does that make the children feel? Like, I remember when I was in elementary school, it was uh, pulling the cards. So like you had green if you were fine, good all day. And then it was like yellow. And then it was like red. And like red was like, you had to like go to the office or something. But all the cards are like on the front of the classroom, like huge. And then when you have to pull it, they like, you have to pull it in front of everyone. Like, that's awful. (laughs) Like, that is so traumatic.
1: Yeah. So Sailor, she told me that she had to, this was in like fourth grade when she's in fourth grade. She said that one of her friends had to go, well, they all had to do, they all had to go up and move their clothes pin from like the middle of the chart down in front of everybody. Like how traumatic. And she told me that one of her friends like cried a lot when that yeah. happened to her and it, it Thankfully, had never happened to Sailor, but she saw how much her, her, her friends, so she was like always, she was more worried about getting in trouble and having to move her clip mm-hmm. down than learning. And I don't think that's yes. okay. That's not no okay No, at all.
0: It's just, it's crazy to me. And it's like, it traumatized me. So why would I want to do anything that would make the children feel that same way? Like, that's so, and it's embarrassing. Like Yes. And the reason it's just it's a whole yeah, it's a whole thing. Oh like I know, I know it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. Oh god. Oh, oh okay. God. Let's
1: not okay. Now we have to think of something positive. Yes. yes. Um what, <laughs> what? we love.
0: <laughs> we love talking about play. Yes. It's really honestly, it's really just man, we plug that one a lot. Yeah. If you listen to the other podcast. You would have heard us kind of talk about this, but it's all about really unpacking our childhood and our education experiences and the things that we didn't feel safe with or didn't feel comfortable with and thinking about that and shifting the work that we do with children so they don't have those same experiences as we do.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's what it is for me.
1: That is. Me too. Well, okay.
0: thank you so much for playing this game, yeah. and I hope that everyone listened to both. But yeah, tell everyone again where they can find you okay. before we go.
1: Okay, so you can listen to the other podcast on the Play-Based Learning Podcast, and you can connect with me on Instagram. It's kristin.rb.peterson on Instagram. My website is learning-wild.com, and there's some little trainings and things on there you can find and some other cool resources. That's that. Thanks for
0: having me on. Of course. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.